Would you condemn a complete stranger to death? Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but I also do this one where we dive deeper into the books that we are reading to get out the juicy information that's contained within, look at some of the themes, and give you an overall idea of what I've been reading. Now, apart from my very terrible <laughs> French accent, we do have for you today The Stranger by Albert Camus. So, this was published in 1942, and it's relatively thin about 120 pages, not big um, type font, so take you two to three hours to probably get through in total. And it's basically an account from a man who lacks normal feelings is, is how I'd put it. So it's set in Algiers and we follow the Frenchman, Monsieur Monsieur, uh, as he attends his maman's funeral, his mum's uh, funerals where the, the book kicks off. And then we go through a kind of series of stages of his life over the next month or so, I'd guess where we see that he interacts with this uh, girl, Marie, starts a little courtship with her, uh, also his living conditions, how he lives, the type of um, tenants that he lives around with them. So there's this old man with a dog, there's this crazy <laughs> guy down the hall. And eventually it, it takes like a turn for the worse as he goes on a trip and ends up murdering a man. We then follow his trial and sentencing and I guess his just thoughts on life and, and how he views things. So it's really a look inside of the mind of, of someone. So we do see his innermost thoughts and of someone who is kind of emotionless in many ways, but we'll get onto that shortly. So about the author in this work in particular, it's split into two parts. So there is part one, which is most of what I was telling you uh, there leading up to the, the killing. And then the part two is more of his sentencing of the trial that's taking place and lawyers arguing back and forth uh, and things like that. And it's a first person account, but it feels like a narrator somewhat due to the indifference that is, is shown. So it's, it's, you kind of get this weird mix between the two. Now, in terms of the author himself, Albert Camus, we've reviewed a couple of his books on, on this channel before. So these are things like uh, The Plague, which this was actually hinted at in The Plague. It's kind of like a story within a story type thing. And The Myth of Sisyphus, which was actually published in the very same year as this. So looking at those ideas of absurdism and, and whatnot, although I wouldn't say it's as apparent in this book as is in some of his others. We're going to go on to the main theme, the one theme that I really took from this, which was applying justice, apathy versus indifference. So what the hell do those things mean? I'm going to give you some definitions. Now, the definitions of both these words, apathy and indifference, they're, they're pretty similar. So you'll hear things like uncaring attitude, lack of interest, absence of feeling. So we get this real idea like, okay, it's, it's um, when you're using it to describe a person, it's someone who is relatively emotionless. Now, I suppose what, how I kind of saw the difference between these two is apathy is more of a condition. So it's something that can't be changed, whereas indifference is, is somewhat of a choice. And this actually makes a, a big difference uh, when it comes to applying justice and looking at laws and, and things like this. So we'll just keep that in mind at this start point and we'll, we'll touch more upon that soon. So Monsieur, Monsieur Monsieur, there's a lot of examples in this book where we really see his, I suppose, well, either apathy or indifference It's a, 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 at this stage, which is just establishing, okay, yeah, he is... 
he does he kind of lacks his feelings and we see it on the very first page so uh the very first words maman died today or yesterday maybe i don't know i got a telegram from the home mother deceased funeral tomorrow faithfully yours that doesn't mean anything maybe it was yesterday so we kind of see right at the very start we establish oh okay he's he's not a normal person and whilst i was reading these first few pages i was definitely going like oh man this is it's kind of weird. There's a weird book. And uh, we can see also when we jump to page 21. So this is where he's, he's um, finished the funeral and he's kind of now gone home. And this is where we see he, he kind of gets bored and he, and he just doesn't like people, I guess. So uh, when I woke up, Marie had gone. She'd explained to me that she'd gone to her aunt's. I remember that it was Sunday and that bothered me. I don't like Sundays. So I rolled over and tried to find the salty smell Marie's hair had left on the pillow and slept until 10. Then I smoked a few cigarettes, still in bed till noon. I didn't feel like having lunch at Celeste's like I usually did because they'd be sure to ask questions and I don't like that. I fixed myself some eggs and ate them out of the pan without bread because I didn't have any left and I didn't feel like going downstairs to buy some. After lunch, I was a little bored and I wandered around the apartment. So (laughs) that is definitely the actions of a person who is not too interested in, I suppose, anything per se. He's, He's very kind of come with you go there's there's almost a persistent uncaring that that comes out throughout the book and you can see this where he doesn't throw too many moral judgments on there's this neighbor who's very abusive to his dog and hates his dog you know he doesn't really care about it there's this other neighbor who uh is has this mistress and is beating her or wants to beat her and um and he's kind of just like yeah whatever (laughs) it's it's and his indifference is noted throughout by many people in the book and some people like it some people don't now there's also the flip side of this which is okay well we see that he has it but does does this um does this mean that he can't feel at all is this a choice or is this something that he was kind of born with internally like is there some switches in his brain that are just not connected in the in the normal way, in the way that most humans have. Uh, I'm not so sure of this because we can see that he really, he, he understands. It's, it's not a, a, a lack of understanding in many parts. So, for example, he knew why his boss disapproved of his four-day weekend. So, he needed two days off to, to travel to his mum's funeral on a Thursday, return home on a Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, obviously, the weekend. And he, he kind of understood this. And, and we also see many times throughout the book that it's, it's not that he lacks emotions, even though he is rather emotionless. And so I'm going to read here from page 59. So this is right before the, the, the end of, of part one. And this is where it's the actual scene where he is um, murdering or, or killing this um, Arab guy who was uh, chasing after his friend because his friend beat his mistress, who was this guy's sister. So kind of complicated series of events. But we go here. Uh, The light shot off the steel and it was like a long flashing blade cutting at my forehead. At the same instant, the sweat in my eyebrows dripped over my eyelids all at once and covered them with a warm, thick film. My eyes were blinded behind the curtain of tears and salt. All I could feel were the symbols of sunlight crashing on my forehead and indistinctly the dazzling spear flying up from the knife in front of me. 
The scorching blade slashed at my eyelashes and stabbed at my stinging eyes. That's when everything began to reel. The sea carried up a thick, fiery breath. It seemed to me as if the sky split open from one end to the other to rain down fire. My whole being tensed and I squeezed my hand around the revolver. The trigger gave. So there's definitely feeling in here. And we we do see in in multiple instances in the book where he expresses joy at things like he he loved uh, having sex with Marie. He, he disliked other things. So there are definitely points uh, right at the end, for example, he gets extremely angry at the priest who has come in to give him his kind of final rites. And so there's definitely, he, he can definitely feel. It's not like he's an emotionless robot at all. There is feelings in there. So now we have to go, okay, all right, is, is it apathy or indifference? What... And, and how do we decide what's happened? Because there is no doubt in anyone's mind that he killed a man and he confesses to it himself. He says, yes, this is what happened. And so then it's deciding, okay, is he guilty of, of killing a man? Yes, that's, that's for sure. What, what happens next? What, what should happen? So we look at the trial and, and basically it's a the normal kind of court system of arguing back and forth as a prosecutor and as a defender. The prosecutor is, is making a lot of cases as to showing his indifference and why he is a kind of cruel, emotionless man. And, you know, there's some pretty good arguments for that. And his defense is, is relatively weak, to be honest, because he's, he's confessed to everything. He said, yeah, you know, I did it. Um, and there's a couple circumstances related to okay um, you killed him and you you did express these um these same things of where it was just like hot flashes of lights coming over him he didn't really know what he was doing like he didn't kill him out of rage or anger it was there was no intent behind it yet a man still died and this is where it's i guess like guessing at the motive starts to get a little bit icky and we we kind of see that where the, the prosecutor is, is coming up with all of these things and saying, you know, he did it for this reason and for this, and we can kind of see inside his mind and they're guessing and guessing. Uh, and, and he's on the stand kind of bewildered, just going like, what? I, you know, that, that's not how I see it. <laughs> you know, that, that's not what I was feeling. And yeah, it's, it's kind of hard. It's like, well, what, what, what do you do with this? Is, how, how should we judge him? And probably it, you have to judge someone by the actions above all else, or at least this is how I kind of view life. And when we look at his actions, he went to the beach with his friends. They got into a fight. His friends went back and, and one of them went to the hospital. He went out again with his other friend who had a gun and he, um, his friend gave him the gun. So this is the second time he's gone back. They went back again. And then he went out once more on his own and this is when he killed a guy. And so this is where you're starting to go like, okay, look, no matter if he intended to or not, right in that moment, you know, he still put himself in the situation where he knew was going to, there was, he knew there was conflict. He knew there was going to be a guy here. Uh, you know, when you look at it that way, it's kind of like, it, it doesn't matter if you're indifferent. It doesn't matter if you're uncaring you still put yourself in a situation where things could go wrong and voluntarily put himself in that situation. It's not like he was compelled. I suppose so you could say that his reasoning beforehand for going to the beach was like he felt hot and uncomfortable and so he needed to go to the beach 
Uh, he, he knew he shouldn't have taken steps forward, but he still did. And this is what escalated the conflict. I don't know. I, I, I have little sympathy for someone who, who puts themselves in situations where they kind of knowingly, knowingly know that things could be <laughs> going bad, even if it didn't turn out the way you wanted and there was no particular intent behind it. There was a kind of a, a new idea, which I actually thought was kind of cool on, on applying justice in this case, which is the, the there was kind of no contest. He was he was he was going to be charged as um, as killing this man, and the death sentence in Algiers, I guess, in this time uh, was in effect. So he got the death sentence, and uh, there was one. He, he was kind of contemplating this. This is Monsieur Monsieur, and one of the things that he was saying was the like he felt he felt it was unfair. He felt it, was, it wasn't reasonable. And so this is uh, one of the ideas that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, so he says, but naturally you can't always be reasonable. At other times, for an instance, I would make up new laws. I would reform the penal code. I'd realized that the most important thing was to give the condemned man a chance. Even one in a thousand was good enough to set things right. So it seemed to me that if you could come up with a mixture of chemicals that if ingested by the patient, that's the word I use, patient, would kill him nine times out of ten, but he would know this, th that would be the one condition. For by giving it some hard thought, by considering the whole thing calmly, I could see that the trouble with the guillotine or guillotine uh, was that you had no chance at all, absolutely none. The fact that it was that it had been decided once and for all that the patient was to die. It was an open and shut case, a fixed arrangement, a tacit agreement that there was no question of going back on. And he goes on talking about, okay, but he also understands why, you know, you need to <laughs> have that certainty as well. But I thought that was a, an interesting idea. So say if you had a, uh, a death penalty, and I, I don't advocate for this personally, but uh, I think it's a, 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 flaw, a very flawed system. But if you had a jury and each one of the jurors went, okay, you know, beyond reasonable um, doubt. Yeah, I think that's, um, a, a, you have to have a court system some way and that's a, um, you know, guilty beyond reasonable doubt. But what is the unreasonable doubt? Is it one in a million? So in that case, what if you got each one of the jurors to say what they thought the percent chance of him being not guilty were and then, you know, summing them together, averaging it out and going, okay, yeah, this guy... Um, his, the, his jury of peers who condemned him, they think there is a one in 565,000 chance that he's not guilty. What if we implement that into the actual machine of killing and then that way he knows that he still has a chance? I think that's an interesting <laughs> concept. I, I can see for many reasons why it wouldn't, but why it wouldn't work. Uh, you know, who can you trust to actually put in the numbers? How can we verify this? How, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the off chance, you know, the when he does get lucky and it's like, oh, geez, you know, now, and then he recommits a crime. Well, you know, there's <laughs> the people who have had the crime recommitted against them. They would not be <laughs> pleased at that system to say the least. So, I just did think that was a kind of a cool idea that would, um, that popped up in the book. So, yeah, on the theme of applying justice, apathy versus indifference, um, I think it's obvious that the that he was lacking emotions, and um, by a jury of his peers, they condemned him. And I'd I'd be more inclined to be condemning him as well and saying 
even though there was kind of a lack of intent, I think there was enough things going on behind the scenes where you can say, okay, yes, the, he's, he's a different person, but um, what are you going to do? Are you just going to let him go free? Like is, uh, just because he didn't want to. And how could you prove that he was um, having, feeling this apathy f- from a, you know, a condition of birth, like it was internal to him. There's nothing he could change about it versus an indifference where, you know, he just didn't, he chose not to feel um, guilty or he chose not to um, uh, feel those emotions. It's a difficult one. So I'm going to go now onto my own observations and takeaways. So I did have a very initial distaste of him and of, of the book actually, but I, th- I think I grad- gradually understood his his robotic nature. I think that starts to peer out and you go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I can start to see and understand this. And funnily enough, I think that's actually what makes him attractive to Marie, for example. He does have this uh, kind of devil may care, I don't give a shit attitude, like you don't mean anything to me which whilst in some ways you'd say is not an attractive quality, it, it, it can be because it shows like a lack of value of, of, of her as a person. And this funnily enough for some people equates to, oh, he, he must, you know, get all the women or something like that. So him showing me uh, uh, this discare, this, this like bleh, blase attitude um, proves that he's like a high value man you know, let's not get into that too much, but I, I could, I could understand him after a while. Whereas in the initial probably 15, 20 pages, I was going, man, this is, this is just weird. I'm, I'm not, I'm not digging this book on, um, page 76 and 77. I wanted to, to draw out something here. So this was in part two. So this was, he, he was in his, um, cell or, you know, he's been in jail for a little bit now. And, uh, he's, I think this this kind of showcases how he was unlucky in many ways. So I'll read from here. As I imagine the sound of the first waves under my feet um, and the relief and the sense of relief it would give me, all of a sudden I would feel just how closed in I was by the walls of my cell. So there's his him imagining um, being um, a free man. But that only lasted a few months. Afterwards, my only thoughts were those of a prisoner. I visited for the daily, I'm sorry, I waited for the daily walk, which I took in the courtyard or for a visit from my lawyer. The rest of the time I managed pretty well. At the time, I often thought that if I had had to live in the trunk of a dead tree with nothing to do but look up at the sky flowering overhead, little by little, I would have gotten used to it. And I think that that kind of explains him to a T. He, he, He's kind of uncaring to the point where he's not really willing to make proactive decisions in his life. And if he does, they're more on a whim. It's like, oh, mm, yeah, I feel like eating now. I'm going to go eat that that kind of thing uh, rather than detailed, structured, forethought reasoning of uh, I'm going to be hungry in the future. I better buy some bread for tomorrow. And I'm not sure if I'll have money saved up at this point. So I might have to ask for a loan from my friend to be able to get, <laughs> like that's, that's not apparent in, in any of his thinking. And I think in this, in a parallel world, he could have almost been a Buddha in many ways. You know, he's got this acceptance of, of pain, of hardship, of joy. You know, he treats them all somewhat the same. And whilst living is great and, you know, feeling joy and things like that, some of the 
the things that the Buddha says or these kind of wise men are like, that these things are fleeting as well. You know, don't go chasing after happiness because that is just a surefire way to not find happiness. So, uh, yeah, I do, I do like to imagine, like, what would Monsieur Monsieur have been like in, you know, the, the time of Jesus? Would he have, you know, had these same sort of things? And if, if things had been a little bit different, would he have, like, gained a cult following and, and then this had kind of risen him to an elevated status? I could see it happening. I could see it happening. One of the things uh, I also don't try and do too much is, is read too far beyond what what's written down and uh, as I was kind of doing some prep for this book I was I was reading some other people's thoughts and uh, man people there were you know there was one comment where it was like oh to really explain this book you'd have to have a full novel being able to explain it and there's sometimes where this is the same thing I noticed with the justice and applying of it where it's almost like you go too far beyond what's what's there it's like what was his reasoning for killing a man like he didn't really have one and that's not satisfying enough. So it's like, you need to go for more and go deeper and harder. And let's start using some abstract philosophy. And, you know, the the gun is a representation of the penis. And, <laughs> you know, there's there's so many ways that you can go into um, into analyzing something. And, and for me, I, I, you know, yeah, sure. I like to dig a little bit beneath, but I don't go too deep beneath the surface. I think it's very easy to to conflate things and and, and just chuck on your own whatever into it and so with all of that being said you know i, f- I feel pity for for monsieur monsieur the, the there was no intent behind him but he, he couldn't also be free you know there's no i don't i don't see this as a condemnation of the justice system or anything like that um, yeah i think what what happened there whilst i disagree with like the death penalty as a general principle the and and for for both ethical and kind of practical reasons the i i didn't come out of this being like oh i'm going to i need to dive deeper and and to really examine absurdism or philosophy or anything like that the last observation i had was uh, just why do certain works kind of speak to us and i've noticed this for myself and in particular with one of the people i've com- uh, connected with uh, on this channel was was nastia who has an Instagram account and she seems to, um, and books underscore I underscore read underscore daily. And the the kind of books and things that we read are very similar. We've, we've obviously got very similar tastes. And yet the things she likes and the things I like are, are just completely different. So the reason I read this was um, she, she recommended it and, and valued it highly. And it just seems to be a, a kind of flippening going on i really like the plague she she didn't like it that much she loves this one i'm kind of indifferent to it the 1984 absolutely loved that book she she hated it uh on the road by jack kerouac i know she really enjoyed it for me i was like Meh. i'm not i'm not the biggest fan of him either so and yet as a whole the books that we enjoy um uh, uh as a as, as as a collective group seem to be pretty much bang on the money. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. There's just something about that where it's like, how, how, can, <laughs> how can we enjoy the same things and yet have completely, uh, not completely opposed ideas, but strong enough oppositions to individual works? Um, I don't know. What, what, is in, what is it in a book that really brings it out? And is it, is it the own, you know, the personal things that have happened in my life that I can 
you know, I, I there's too much of a difference. I don't see enough of myself in Monsieur Masseau or something like that. Is that is that how it is? Or yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I I, I like to to think about these things. So in summary, I did find it a slow start, but became a bit more engaged by it as it as it went on. So I, th- I think it's really great book for highlighting almost like the reason why life is so hard sometimes. Everyone is a stranger and some people are really strange <laughs> as well. So, uh, it's, it's just really highlighting, okay, there's, this, there's, there's different people out there and um, how you treat these people and with regards to um, justice or even just judging them in your normal everyday life or just general interactions. Uh, you have to have some kind of sympathy for that and, and be willing to recognize that there, there are different people out in this world. Unfortunately, the indifference was very contagious and I didn't love the book in particular. So, I'm going to give this book, The Stranger by Albert Camus, a very indifferent 6 out of 10. I hope you enjoy it. I, 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 some, some people, others, some people I value highly and, and have similar taste to I value this book very highly. But for me, yeah, it was just, it was okay. It was okay. And so that is it for today, my mere mortal lights. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on Monsieur Mousseau? Was the application of justice uh, correct in condemning him to death? Was he uh, apathetic in the sense that it was a condition that he couldn't change? Or was this a choice on his part and his indifference was um, kind of calculated? I'd love to know all of these things. Best way to do that is to send in a Boostergram. So, Boostergram is a payment of Satoshis attached to a message, which you can do in a decent podcast app. So, newpodcastapps.com, choose one like Fountain, Breeze, Castomatic, uh, the Podverse. These are all great apps and you can help support the show by doing that as well. So this is a value for value podcast. I do all of this for free. You can tune in anytime you want. And um, I would just say if you're getting value from this, I I highly uh, appreciate it if you could return it in whatever form you want to do. So this could be sharing it with a friend. This could be uh, giving me some extra details about the backstory behind how Camus created this. This could be giving me technical advice or this, you know, uh, suggestions on how to improve the show. All of these things would be great. And then, of course, it does cost money to host the servers, to buy the cameras, to fix the laptop when it breaks and all of these things. So, uh, if you got value from the show, I just recommend that you send some of it back. You choose whatever amount you want um, and I would love to do that and uh, to, to receive that. And I read all of these Boostergrams and messages out and thank the people um, who do this on the end of month book recaps, which I do on the last Monday of every month. So with all of that being said, thank you so much for joining me. And I really do hope you're having, well, a non-apathetic, a non-indifferent day wherever you are in the world. Karen Monsieur Cabrun out.